7.05 on CJAD. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. How are you tonight, Josh? Excellent, Dan. Great. And we welcome to the program Avi Brook and Mariana Roth of Cone Luke Kosher. Uh, Avi, Mariana, welcome to CJAD. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming in. So we begin the program usually by you telling us a bit about your business. Uh, how long have you been there? What do you do? And uh, and what do you sell? So tell us about Consulate Kosher. Uh, well, that's a complicated question because a lot happened in, uh, happened in the last six years. But basically, Consulate Kosher uh, provide you know to the Jewish community for the last fifty four years fresh me- uh, fresh meat. And we have a top quality meat. We buy only red brand. And also we have a catering service, you know, that also been around for the last 47 years. So basically we do meat and catering. Is this something you do all out of your retail location? Yes, that's what we do. Yeah. And how, how do, like... Are your customers typically are they corporate customers? Are they consumers? Like, are they are they parties? What do you, what kind of services do you? Uh, we'll do mostly private customers, uh, and it's funny, you know, uh, the store has been around for fifty some years, and actually, I was thinking about it. The store really invented the internet before inter- internet was existed because. I would say 80% of my customer, I never saw them. So we call, uh, I know it sounds like ridiculous, but that's what it is. Uh, people call in and we deliver the meat. And if you want to have and to keep your client, you got to give them, you know, top-notch meat. And that's what our specialty and that's what we do. Now, were you, were, you were saying online presence, like you were online for a long time. You had a website. How do you? How do people find you? Uh, no, because basically, you know, today people go on the internet and they shop and they click and so on and so on. But 50 years ago, you didn't have the internet. Correct. And amazingly, people called and never came into the shop and received, you know, the meat without seeing him, you know, all of these years. So it's actually internet. I mean, if you th- really think about it, it is. I mean, uh, people doesn't. I like I said. Uh, Eighty percent of my customer, I never saw them. Now, how did this start? Where where does it? Uh, and I'm going to turn to uh, Mariana for a moment and kind of say, how did this business get in? How did you get into this catering business? How did I get? Uh, first of all, I was working for Glatt. You know Glatt uh, mm-hmm. from Laurier. Mm-hmm. I was working there, and after I was sent to Vissalorang, and I started on my own. You know the cooking. That was my idea. Was it a store that you had? I started? had a store. I had a store. At first, I was partner in uh, in the stores. They had that time co- self serving store, seven store. I was shareholder there. Okay, and after I went on my own, I got one store from them, mm-hmm. and that's where I started cooking, because I saw people working, women's working today. So. I saw a future for the ready-made food. Did you did, did you stop and say, you know, I'm tired of working for somebody else. I'm, I, they're not doing it right. I know what to do. I can do it better. What do, what do you mean? In other words, when you first opened your store, was it were you inspired by something specific, or you just said, you know what? I love cooking. I love to cook, and people was asking me recipe, and that's how I, you know, when you buy meat, you want to know how to cook. So I start to cook. 
on my own. I had a hot plate, that's how I started to cook. Well, basically she started because she didn't have a choice. Those seven stores went bankrupt and the owner, you know, of the shareholder of this company decided, you know, to distribute you some owners, you know, the stores. And since she was in the stores, she got to the store. So actually she started it not by her own will, it just Follow me. I paid one dollar for my store where I where I was in Visalorant because I was a shareholder. They gave it to me this store. Did you have trouble? And I'm thinking back, and we've had a number of women entrepreneurs on the show, women that have started businesses. Women have more trouble than men. Well, that was that's my question. Did you credit things like that? You know, you you don't get the same trust as a man get. So how did you overcome that? I was tough, patient, and it, people, you know, they, they got to know me, and I had uh, credit, and uh, they, after everything was okay, they got to know me. They saw I was paying my bills, so the wholesaler did gave it, me a good chance. Did it take a long time for you to prove yourself to... A few years. And I advise everybody to be patient. You, nothing happens overnight. No question. You said you started in Ville Saint Laurent. Was that a location that you specifically chose? No, I didn't choose that. It just happened to be. I was living in Côte Saint Luc, and I was going to Ville Saint Laurent six days a week. Do you like being on your on your own better? Or did you like having more support, a big organization? No, I like to be on my own. Yeah. You like making the decisions? Yes. And what kind of boss are you? Tell us about your 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 management style. Are you guys are you guys tough bosses? Do you do you do you work with your employees? You know just... something if you are not tough you lose the business. You have to be. You know you have to have a soft side and a tough side. You mm-hmm. know when it comes to business I'm tough. Yeah. And I don't it... look but I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's radio. We can't see. But it, when you're dealing with your people, the, your your employees, do they know how to work have you did you teach them right to the end i teach everybody if i see the person is capable to work i teach we have people there who works there 10 15 20 years we don't change employee Uh, we have like 12 employees and every employee have personality so you try to deal with each person you know separate it's not easy thing because people, you know, have problems and you have to deal with it. But in overall, I will say, you know, it's, it's something that I enjoy. Uh, for me, cutting meat, it's not the main thing that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. I enjoy to deal with people. I enjoy to deal with customers, talk with them. And it's not necessarily cutting the meat, you know, that makes my day. From, uh, from the people, from your employees, a human resource... Did you ever come across a difficult employee that you had to either discipline or train a little bit better or differently? Uh, yes, I did. And it was actually a year ago that I had to fire somebody because of this implant. It didn't was easy. And I think it's the first time that I fired somebody. And I can't get into detail what was mm-hmm. the issue. But there is a limit, you know, to some uh, issues that happening. Did you learn anything from that? Did, like something that you would know to do better the next time around? I don't think in my case I could done anything better. I mean, uh, I emerged with a store 
uh, about six years ago, this employee was in the store, and for me, I had to deal with him, you know, from the time I came in. And the end was I couldn't deal with it anymore, and that's where I fired him. So there is issues. There is always issues. There is people are not perfect. They have temper, whatever. Overall, you know, you get along with them, and I have good workers. I have good workers, I have excellent workers, because I think success of the business is not only the owners. Your employees make your success too. Do, so you, do you take the time to train your people absolutely. to push them? Absolutely, absolutely. When somebody starts, is there, is there something specific that you do with them to get them on the right Everybody path? Everybody have a chance. Everybody got a chance. If they want to learn, well, they have a good place to learn. And Marianne, I'll kind of turn to you and ask the same question that Avi just answered. Did you have any issues with some past employees that were difficult to deal with? I don't know. No. You know, you know, mostly we have women in the kitchen, and I'm usually I am in the kitchen. All right. Uh, coming up, more with Avi Brook and Mariana Roth of Kunzlu Kosher. By the way, after 7.30, uh, we do this rarely, but we're going to take calls on uh, with Nick Moretis, tax partner at Fula Landau, and he's going to give us a bunch of tax advice. So if you have last-minute uh, tax questions, uh, Nick Moretis will be there after 7.30 for you to answer that, so stay tuned for that. 7.19 on Today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you, and our guests, Avi Brook and Mariana Roth of Kunzlu Kosher. And uh, go which, which it started out as two businesses, right? So explain to us how that happened, how you came together. Uh, in 1986, uh, in 1996, sorry, I had to leave the place that I was located. The building was sold. And I looked for a place, you know, in Cotton Look. I couldn't find it. And then the idea was, you know, how about you merge the two businesses, you know, paying one rent. Uh, have the same stuff, you know, and have saving and the idea meat and catering looks Makes very sense. good. Yeah. So, so was it out of necessity or you just felt it made business sense? Necessity mostly. It was a necessity and also made business sense, you know. Uh, I mean, it wasn't a talk before that happened, okay? Uh, uh, Mrs. Roth told me, you know, she's not getting younger and she I'm wants somebody to... I'm 76 years old. I want somebody to carry on the business. And she this wanted somebody to carry business. the business, so it made sense. Uh, so we mo I moved there in 1996. I was there for, we were there together for three years. And then we had to do a move again because the rent really went really, really high in uh, in the mall. In This was in Ville Saint Laurent. That was in Ville Saint Laurent. Mm -hmm. And we moved about three and a half years ago to Kotzenluk, which was a big, uh, smart decision because most, I will say, most of the Jewish population is in Kotzenluk. Mm -hmm. And I would say it's important to follow the population. Now, how, how do you deal with a declining population? I mean, if you're, if you're catering specifically to one type of customer and that population is leaving the city, how do you deal with that? Uh, it's very difficult... Uh, for a lot of reason. Uh, first of all, uh, I think in 76, I think in Montreal used to be 120,000 Jews living in Montreal. If I'm not mistaken now, it's 80,000. Um, 
Yet we have more businesses, you know, that catering, you know, to uh, kosher food. For example, IGA, Metro, Lablau, uh, which years ago didn't exist. And that puts pressure, you know, on the small businesses, you know, because you have to compete. In the other hand, like I said, you know, we're a specialty store. So I really doesn't feel it so much like other because I have a special, I'm catering to special people. Um, but it is a problem because the product is very expensive. A lot of young kids, you know, doesn't have the money to buy kosher meat. And that's for, you know, uh, consuming, you know, of kosher meat, you know, is declining. Yeah, and, and I think given given the problems that you encounter, and Dan, we've seen this before, the entrepreneur has to find a way to reinvent himself and has to find a way to make sure that his product is relevant in the marketplace that might be declining. And uh, what's also interesting is it's a family business. It's been around a long time. And when we come back from the break, I think we'll explore how they work together. More with Avi Brook and Marianne Roth of Count & Kosher on today's Entrepreneur at 723. This business. Okay, when we close the store at night, we forget, you know, what's happening the, the, whole, the whole day. But I don't find that difficult. Do you, do you guys always agree with each other? No. How do you deal with the disagreements? We talk it over, we discuss it, and, you know, and after we decide together. We take a happy medium. We take a little bit from here, a little bit from there. Have you ever felt the need or have you ever gone to maybe a, a third party or another family Never. member you always keep it within yourselves um, avi's thinking maybe he has depends, a different answer depends you know it depends you know uh, i mean we're a very close family i mean i have four kids and we're very close to each other they're very close to the grandmother the fact you know that we live you know in the same building you know in the same house so no secret in the family so if the conversation from the store have to continue at, at home, it will continue at home. So, yes, sometimes we do involve, you know, but it's a family. We're not involving, you know, people from the outside. Never, never. And you must, you must be part of every aspect of the business. I mean, be, being such a, a close family, you kind of do it all, right? I mean, you have employees, you have 12 employees, but are you involved still with every aspect of the business or really only just running it? Uh, I'm gonna answer that myself, okay? Mm-hmm. He's he's doing everything. If he have to, if somebody's missing, he's doing it. And every job he's capable to do, he can replace anybody. Did you do the same when you started your catering business? I'm still doing the same. <laughs> Not that yeah, time. It is amazing. I mean, uh, I'm she 76 does year old. I'm still doing. If I have to wash, I just said wash dishes, I have to cook, I have to do anything, I do everything. What about retiring, Mariana? Do you ever want to retire? Never. Never? You don't retire from something you love. Mm. I love what I'm doing. Till I am capable to go in, if not, somebody going to carry me into the store. <laughs> I don't leave the store. I also want to add uh, the fact that, you know, that the bosses are involved with things that they shouldn't be involved, okay? Also create motivation, you know, to your workers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a good thing you know it's a good thing the environment you know is healthy uh, and uh, I think people should learn you know that if they are in a certain position you know they should do more than their position to inspire their workers well, one quick question before we get to the bottom half of the hour 
you've been buying meat or your your supplies for many years. Is it the same supplier today as it used to be? In what sense? Same meat supplier today as uh, it used to be? Actually, the meat that you get today is completely different than it was 20 years ago. Uh, 20 years ago, uh, the amount of fat that the beef you know used to come in used to have at least 40-45% fat. Today, the meat comes in, you know, it's... Twenty percent, you know. I is don't know the, if that's what buying, you mean. Are you buying from the same company today as you used to buy? No, we buy some from Ontario, which we didn't before. We buy some beef from Ontario and some from Quebec. And is it? Uh, did you find that you're buying? You have to stay more on top of the buying today than you used to twenty years ago. Uh, not really, because the if that's what it is, uh, the quality of meat is better. The only thing what's changed is the term of payments, uh, which if you want, we're going to get later on in it. All right, coming up more with Avi Brook and Marianne Roth of Consulu Kosher. We're also going to take some calls. Uh, Nick Moreta's tax partner at Fuller Landau for those who have tax questions uh, last minute. So we'll get to that after the news as well. And kind of brought it out at some point. So I kind of turn to Nick, and before we get on to maybe some of the other uh, fun topics that everybody looks at in April, let's talk a little bit about planning for families and businesses and the next steps and what's important for families to understand when it comes to taxes and their corporations. Uh, and this becomes, I think, quite important uh, when when a business does become your, your life, uh, which is a ha it has become in your case, uh, Mariana. And uh, many times you would like that life to continue on to your children to, or uh, around you. Uh, and Canada is great with that. It's great for the opportunities. But when it comes to passing on that business down to the next generation, there's a, there's a lot of rules. And sometimes the simplest thing, which I've seen with, uh, with uh, especially immigrant families, like my, my own family was an immigrant family, is, is an automatic, well, this is mine, so I can give it to uh, my son, my daughter, my, my son-in-law, my daughter-in-law. And, and it's never that simple, unfortunately, because the government says, wait a sec, there's, there's stuff, that we, we have lots of taxes here and we need it. Um, children in a, in a business uh, are, are, is useful. Uh, having children work in the business, you can actually pay them a salary if it's reasonable. There's nothing wrong with that. It gives them the experience. Uh, if they do attach themselves to the same business that uh, you, you love and, and work in every single day, then the question is, well, how do I transfer that? When do I transfer that? The when becomes a, a whole issue, which usually uh, the Josh of the, of the, the uh, Millers get involved in more than the Nick Moretis is because it's psychological, there's business, there's financial re issues that come along from that. It's the portable couch, though, that's that, heavy to carry. That's exactly right. But once that scenario has been set out where that we're looking at bringing in a child what do we do um, you're not now looking at a, a situation where I'm necessarily selling my business here's my child and so long child uh, send me my checks while I'm on the beach that doesn't usually work that way because the parent is still very much involved in the business and there's that happy meeting that you're trying to, to trying to get where the child is taking over the management of the affairs while the parent is taking a, a step back so what do we do um, where we don't want to necessarily do a straight buy-sell. We're forcing the child to find money. You may be paying taxes needlessly. And in many cases in a family situation, what we're tending to look at in the, in the buzzwords that are, are in tax is something called an estate freeze, where we look, at the, we look at the company, look at what it's worth. That always belongs to you. That wealth that you've accumulated and worked hard belongs to you. It doesn't get transferred over to the next generation. How do you determine what that value is? I mean, you have a business, a privately held business for a long period of time, and certainly 
the question of value is is a little bit subjective sometimes. So what have you seen and and kind of the pitfalls and how do you deal with it in saying, you know, mom or dad says, you know what, my business is worth five million bucks. And the kid says, what are you, crazy? <laughs> well, the, the, the way I get out of it is say hire a evaluator. And, and then, but that's, uh, that's, that's a simple way. We do actually look to hire evaluators. And sometimes there's a bit of an arbitration in there because the parent may see value one way and the child may see a value another way. And, and usually the, the big difference is the personal goodwill of the parent. Is, is, is a, a Code St. Luke kosher identified with you, Mariana, or is it identified as a business that anybody can call and, and speak to, to, to Avery or speak to anybody else and get that service? And, and that's where the, the big value differences belong because the child is afraid that if I take over and mom and dad are no longer there, the business plunges because I have to earn the respect of all the clients again. And that's where Josh is where even with evaluator, usually they, they look at that and they try to factor in that cost. And at some point in time, there has to uh, sometimes be a discussion. Are governments really focusing in on this? Are they? Uh, have you seen them attack any of these values, or what do they kind of look for? Is that too difficult? It's well, really case by case. As a case. tax person, I have to be nice to the governments. Um, the government's official uh, point of view is they always look at what the fair market value is. Now, what is that? Is the highest price in an organized market that someone pay for the business? And when they uh, decide to uh, look at the value, they will bring down their own evaluators and, and try to judge what your business is worth. And uh, my experience so far is they tend to come on the very high side and, and, and ignore elements that could, be, um, that, that could justifiably reduce your value. And that becomes an issue, always does. Now, you were mentioning trusts earlier. Um, let's talk timing. I mean, when do you set one up? Well, this is it. The, 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 there's several ways to look at this. Um, usually when you're first starting uh, your business, as you mentioned, 48 years ago, you're not necessarily thinking of the next generation taking over. You just want to get through the next week and then maybe after that the next month and then maybe after that the next year. And that's what your focus is. Um, nowadays, when we, with hindsight and with our experience, we can come in and say, well, if you're into... Uh, a business that looks like it's successful, it's going to be there, it's going to go on. What we might look at is we look at family trust to get become shareholders of the business as opposed to yourself is becoming very popular. And and then when do we do that? It, the, we could do it when there's children around. It would be nice to have some children so we know what exactly that we're, we're looking at. Or it could be even before the children are even there because of the way the trusts are at work today. But many times the when the owner is ready to move, is when he has something planned out. His business has been successful. He's reached a certain plateau that he knows now that he's still in the working phase. It can still grow. His children are around. He's getting a judgment call as to what his children is, and he's being driven by tax planning to introduce a trust. Now, there's, you know, some people have become very confused. Some people think, you know what, I'll just give my kid shares of the company directly and not necessarily <laughs> think of this trust. What's the real, the biggest differences between well, them? This is one thing that we tend to find a lot. And, and, and again, I talk as a, as a, from an immigrant family. It's, it's this notion that uh, whatever the parents have built up, they can transfer to the children. And, and it is true. You can transfer to the children. What they forget is that there's taxes attached to that. And what we see many times is a parent saying, well, I'm going to bring my kid in as a shareholder of my company. That's fantastic. If your company, however, is judged to be worth, say, a million dollars, and you've given your child 10% of your company, you just give him a gift of $100,000, in essence, that he didn't pay for. 
Well, the government is going to say that, well, thank you very much, but now you owe us the tax on that $100,000 that you didn't plan for, that you didn't think about. The same goes, and what we see sometimes is uh, even with other property like real estate. If you have a business with real estate, or if, if you have a, a building you've held for a long time and, and your child's grown up, oh, I'd like to help them, I'm going to give them my building. Well, that's very nice, except that, again, the, the government's going to come along and say, you just sold your building to your child, even though he didn't pay you anything. We're saying you sold. This is what we think it's worth. Pay the tax on that. And there's no, there's no forgiveness. There's no, oh, geez, I'm sorry you didn't know. We'll, we'll fix it up. There's none of that. Governments take it very, very seriously. And so the, the simple giving over to a child, as much as, as many f parents want to do that, is something that can be very dangerous for tax purposes. And between family members, you can't just give it at cost. There has to be some market value attached. Yes. <clears throat> Anything that goes between family, um, with the exception of husband and, and wife, but if it goes from uh, parents to children, uh, from par the parents to their siblings... Uh, the government always comes in and says uh, it has to go at fair market value, and we're always back to that concept. So if I bought um, if I bought uh, a bottle for a dollar, and today that bottle of wine let's see I bought a bottle of wine for a dollar, assuming I could find one, and today that bottle of wine is a hundred, and I want to give it to my child. In theory, I have to give it to him for a hundred dollars, or pay the tax on that hundred dollars. And that's the that's a core concept in our tax system. And that really applies to pretty much anything that you're going to get. So long as you're amongst a, a, relation, a related group, except for husband and wife. That, that, that's different. Now, th I know there's so many issues that we want to get into. And, and a lot of this, uh, you know, Dan, when we hear entrepreneurs and we talk about their family, we talk about uh, their succession and thinking what's left, there's always a thought, well, how do I do it? How do I do it properly? And what discretion do I have? Because I may have three children one might be in, one might not be in the business, and where where do I have to think about these things? There's a certain flexibility to some of this family trust we're talking, and when we come back, maybe we'll explore that as well as take take those calls. All right, and uh, you can text in your questions as well to 514-800 on uh, tax-related issues for Nick Moreta, so Fuller Landau, and of course, Avi Brook and Mary Roth are here from Constant Luke Kosher, and uh, we'll have their piece of advice for today's entrepreneur as well before the hour is up, but first, 745. Coming up to 750 on today's entrepreneur we'll get to your tax questions with Nick Moreta so Fuller Landau in a second uh, but first Josh uh, some uh, some more tax related issues well I just wanted to continue to explore the flexibility of the trust versus the I guess kind of fixed notion of these shares that's right you the you basically are looking at one of two choices as a parent anyway, if you are looking to involve family you're either going to turn around and say okay well I'm going to give so much percent to child one so much to child two maybe another number to child three maybe I don't want child four assuming you have four um, and, and that becomes a difficult choice when do you make that decision it's and sometimes it's hard are you making that decision when they're 15 16 years old when they haven't yet made their own minds up on their business are you making it when they're 20 something when even at 20 something it's not very clear what a trust does is it takes that decision away from the today and throws it out into the future. And basically what a trust does is it becomes a shareholder of your company. It owns the shares. In the trust, you identify your children and anybody else who can one day get those shares. And now you have, say, 21 years to make that decision. So you can watch your children. You can see which one gets involved in the business, which one doesn't, which one is successful, which one isn't. And then you can decide that, you know, in, in 21 years from now, I've seen that one of my children has been involved in the business. He's getting the shares or she's getting the shares and not the others. If I had to come to you today without a trust, 
and say, okay, we're now planning to transfer the succession of the business. Who gets it? And unless the children are already involved and have proven themselves, it's hard for you to make that decision. The problem is for tax planning, but we always try to – there's a principle in tax plan, uh, planning. It's, it's that certainty of death and taxes. On, on death in Canada, you will pay your taxes. And the, the wealthier you are, chances are the more you will pay in taxes. And what we try to do is try to transfer that wealth while you're alive, while you can control, while you can see what is going on to the next generation. So we skip, skip a whole generation and delay that, that payment. And a trust allows us to do that and put you into control to be able to transfer to which child at the appropriate time. And you're reducing your wealth, yes, and you're transferring it to your, your family members, but you've also cheated the government for a whole generation. And I think we can talk about this this topic for many, many, many years. I can be here years. all night, but Dan will but keep let's, me uh, let, let's Let's go to the phones, Dan, or the text messages and see what we have. Sure. Let's uh, take a quick text message. Uh, one caller, uh, Nick, wants to uh, a bit of an explanation on the TFSA, the tax-free savings account. Well, the tax-free savings account was introduced, I believe, in 2009, so it's year five. Um, what the government uh, basically allows you to do is deposit up to $5,000 a year, and it went up to 5500 in 2013, into one account. And this is one account, um, uh, one, per, one account. You can open as many little accounts as you want with the banks, but at the end of the day, you cannot put more than 5000 all told in one year. All the income earned on and this, these funds are invested. They can be usually invested in the mutual funds, stocks, and bonds. All the income earned in, in this account is not taxed. And the benefit of that is, is exactly that. If you're at the top marginal tax bracket, you're saving close to 50% tax on, on this income. You can take the money out um, uh, to, to be used when you need it. And, it can, and you can then replenish that 5000 uh, if you do take it out following certain very specific rules. All right. Uh, Jim is an NDG. Uh, Jim, real quick, what's your tax question for uh, Nick? The um, example you used of the wine bottle, $1 going up to 100 uh, in value, is that a gift tax or is that an, uh, a, um, an increase in the value that becomes a taxable gain in the donor, not in the hands of the donee? It's, it's not a gift tax. Uh, we don't have that here. It is basically the, the capital gain. You acquired something for a dollar. It's now worth 100 and, and you've given it to a family member, the government is basically saying, well, you may have given it, but we, what we see is you sold it to your family member for its fair market value of 100 There's a capital gain of 99 so you, the donor, have to pay tax. All right. Thanks very much, Jim. Uh, we can squeeze maybe one more quick uh, text message question in at 514-800 if you have a tax question for Nick Moretis of for Landau. On the other side, we'll also have Avi Brook and Mariana Roth of Consulu Kosher and their one piece of advice for Today's Entrepreneur. 7.56 on Today's Entrepreneur. Remaining moments with Nick Moretis of for Landau on tax advice. And coming up in a second, Avi Brook and Mariana Roth of Consulu Kosher with their uh, piece of advice for Today's Entrepreneur. We can squeeze in one more tax question. Uh, from Mary, who's downtown. Mary, uh, very quickly, what's your question for Nick? My question is this. Uh, if in your will you leave money uh, to charity, um, I want to know about the taxing on that. I've heard two stories. All right, Nick, what's the, what's the real story? Uh, Mary, the story that I hear, anyway, <laughs> is if you've put in your will an amount of money that your liquidators have no choice but to pay to the charity... Um, it is considered uh, a donation in your last tax return of yourself and not that of your estate. And it would be deductible as any other donation against your income. 
Um, th that's what the purpose of that will. If in the will you give your choice to the liquidators, if they want to make a donation, then that's not your donation, becomes a donation of the estate. So you can, in your final tax return, your, uh, claim a donation credit if you very, are very specific of who gets how much money in your will. All right. Thanks very much for the call, Mary. And uh, shall we uh, go right to uh, the piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Let's see. Well, we'll look, we'll look to Mariana first and ask her in her many years of experience, what piece of advice would you give to today's entrepreneur? Be patient because it's nothing is more beautiful when you succeed in life. You have to be very patient. Did you, you, did you always have that patience? Or did you I always that? had, even today. And when you succeed, it's such a terrific feeling, you know? Excellent. And we turn to Avi, and with his a few years less experience, but what, what piece of advice would you give to today's entrepreneur? Uh, I agree with Mariana. I mean, uh, when you own a business and you succeed, you feel fulfilled, you know, and it's a challenge for you. you know? Every day when you come into work, it's a challenge is to see how to improve the business, what to do, you know, that nobody else. So it's interesting, you know, and uh, just be patient, you know, and if you're patient and love what you do, the rest comes. Excellent. And Dan, you know, there's there's a few takeaways that I get from this. And that is, you know, patience is great. And, and it's it's great that you love what you do. But certainly, when they were talking about families that live together, and there's no secrets, transparency in business is big. If you have too many secrets amongst your family business, something's going to creep up along the way and bite you in the rear end. Mm -hmm. it, it's something that you that people don't practice often enough, but if you're direct, uh, you can be tactful. You don't have to you don't have to bite somebody's head off. You can be tactful and get your point across, but being direct with the people that are most important to that business is absolutely huge and critical because if it's not you 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 end up in a web of lies. Uh, it just it just doesn't work well and it's all you know, it's it's great when you're making money. When you when a business is making money, it's easy to you know sw sweep things under the carpet. The moment it starts breaking even or losing, that's when all hell breaks loose. And if you don't have that transparency from day one, you're you're really at a serious loss. Thanks, and Nick Moraitis, tax partner at Fuller Lando, for joining us tonight again. When's the deadline for people? April thirty. April 30th. All right. I guess I should get on that. Tuesday. Yes. Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> Midnight. And Avi Brook and Marion Aroth of Consulu Kosher, uh, thank you both so much for coming in tonight. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. And uh, Monday's at 7 here on Today's Entrepreneur. Not next week, but we're back in two weeks from now. You can reach Fuller Landau during business hours at 514-875-2865 or visit www.flmontreal.com.